They've watched Citizen Kane a combined 200 times. Elliot's first words were, I personally thought the use of Dutch angles was derivative in the 400 blows. And Nathan's favorite historical figure is Fritz Lang. Now they're bringing that snootiness to you with Magellan's at the Movies. Elliot, let's let's jump into the banter. We were uh, the first thing you said to me when we got on the call to start talking to start recording the podcast is you've already mentioned this. Let's talk about it uh, today as we're recording. So by the time this episode comes out, it will already be out. There's a new trailer for the next Planet of the Apes movie, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Uh, Elliot, what are your what are your thoughts on this? What are you you know maybe give the give the fans a bit of a understanding of why this is news to us and why we care about this this news? Uh, well, those two <laughs> questions have the same answer because we're both very big fans of the recent reboot slash prequel slash who even knows trilogy of Planet of the Apes movies, the latter two being directed by Matt Reeves. Uh, So that's Rise of the Planet of the Apes, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, and War for the Planet of the Apes. All really strong, really good movies. I have some questions about uh, Battle or War for the Planet of the Apes, but still, strong movie. Great trilogy. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes, that is one of the best movies of the 2020s in my, or the 2010s, in my opinion. So give that a watch. Absolutely. And yeah, they are deciding to <laughs> keep it going after the story ended uh, with a story following Caesar's son, Cornelius, uh, in a movie that has exactly zero of the principal creative team behind the first trilogy. So I guess you could say I'm a bit skeptical. Um, I'm not exactly expecting great things here, but hey, I'm more than happy to be proven wrong. I would like to be proven lo- wrong. Every time I'm skeptical of a movie, I want to be proven wrong because I want <laughs> to enjoy movies. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I'm i not not holding out a whole lot. Yeah, I, I looked. The director is the guy who directed a lot of the Maze Runner movies, which I know there's some Maze Runner apologists out there. I I watched the first one and was decidedly unimpressed. And I think I saw some of the second one and I, I didn't have a lot of reaction to that either. But yeah, like like you said, no one who did the this uh, not original trilogy, but this most recent trilogy, which I would agree with you. All three are fantastic. Dawn is amazing. Honestly, could be like one of my favorite trilogies of all time. Just in terms of how consistently good and interesting these movies are. And this one just sounds uh, like a like a disgusting misfire. It sounds like it's going to be terrible. Uh, I saw a cast list. William H. Macy is in it, apparently. That was the only name I recognized from the cast list. 
which is not a not a great sign, not a bad sign, but it's not a great sign. So yeah, the trailer coming out later today. The teaser was just some ape with a falcon or something. But I do not have high hopes for this. Uh, it's going to be tough. It's going to be unfortunate. I feel like it's going to feel like a one of those direct-to-home video sequels, like The Lion King 2, Simba's Pride. or so. It's going to feel kind of like that. Oh, Kingdom of the Planet yeah. of the Apes. You know, Planet of the Apes 2, Cornelius's <laughs> Pride. Something goofy like that. Yeah, I don't heard. know what a group of apes is called. A banana? <laughs> a pack? A pack? Be... All right. Well, a- anyway, anyway, let's move on. Let's. The, the, the takeaway is watch the most recent Planet of the Apes trilogy and join us in skepticism for the forthcoming Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, Cornelius's <laughs> Yeah. Uh, yeah, let's dive into the, the movie we're talking about today. Um, Elliot, you chose this one. So how about you give, give the audience a bit of a rundown? Let us, you know, why are we watching this? Why do we care? Yeah, so we're watching this for the second time. Well, I, I won't speak for you. I'm watching this for the second time. This is Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, a 2022 uh, animated movie that is a sequel to a much older movie. I can't remember where it's from. Hold on. I've got information up here. Uh, Puss in Boots, which was in 2011. Yeah, it follows the titular Puss in Boots, who is a novel side character from the Shrek franchise, who, in the grand tradition of novel side characters like Dory, is getting his own spinoff movie. Uh, and this is a sequel to that original one. So it came out a good long while after the first one. It references the first one not at all. In fact, it references Shrek only once very marginally at the very, very end. Uh, so yeah, it's pretty much its own thing. It follows, right, Puss in Boots, uh, who has lost all eight of his nine... Who has lost eight of his nine lives on his last life... And upon this last life, he is threatened by a bounty hunter who doesn't really have a name. He's just a wolf, a big old wolf with crazy bloodborne transfiguring weapons who defeats him easily in battle, which leads him to go into retirement, whereupon he learns about a map to a wishing star, which will grant the wisher one wish. He thinks, perfect, I can get all my lives back, go back to my real life, because up until then he had been in the retirement home being sad and alone and listening to a cover of This Is The End. So then we have this great swashbuckling adventure where a bunch of different people are trying to get to the star. Uh, His old friend Kitty Softpaws is there. His new friend Dog is there. Uh, <laughs> little Jack Horner is trying to get the star. The Goldilocks and the Three Bears are trying to get the star, and of course, you've got the wolf chasing after him, making things difficult. So there's your plot rundown. And yeah, we saw this in theaters. I can't even remember why I would I allowed myself to get dragged to this because I have a pretty good idea of what I will and will not like, and this was definitely not 
something that I was expecting to like, but man, I liked this movie. Uh, that first time in the theater, I was, I was absolutely eating it up. Thought it was hilarious. Thought it had so much heart, so much warmth, so much creativity. It had such a fresh uh, animation style, art direction. I loved, I, I loved this movie. And then I thought, hey, let's give it another watch. Let's see if it holds up. Let's dispense our opinions to the public awaiting them so anxiously. And that's where we'll begin. So on rewatch, I would say this movie mostly held up. Uh, I don't think, I think that without the like fresh out of the box new toy novelty, without the surprise factor, I wasn't I wasn't like buzzing as much. I wasn't like, wow, this is so amazing. I'm so happy to have been surprised by this. And without that filter, I was able to see a few things that I was like, okay, that's a little sloppy. That's that joke goes on a little too long. This this could have been tightened a little bit. But overall, I would say fairly minor nitpicks. Uh, all in all, I would say this movie definitely retained the overwhelming majority of its charm and its humor and its heart and its visual style. And I was really pleased with how it went. And I'm I'm excited to get your thoughts and talk about this film. Yeah. So I, I think the other thing that's important to say in terms of this film, as well as this is why you were dragged along to the film, is this made this movie made quite a critical splash. It got a ton of buzz. It like you said, it released in the tail end of 2022 in December. It might have released on the same day as Avatar 2. Definitely didn't say that. And, well, I'm saying it now. <laughs> okay. But this, I was seeing stuff about this movie well into January. I had a lot of friends who were going to it, and they were saying, hey, it, it lives up to the hype. And I thought that was really unlikely, but I came home for the weekend. And so I was like, hey, I think this movie could be a lot of fun to go and see. I've been seeing a lot of good things. And so we all went. And I do think of all of the kind of smash hit in terms of like with the general audience movies from 2022, of which there was quite a few, I'd say everything everywhere all at once, RRR, kind of Avatar 2 in some sense. This was easily my favorite of those. <laughs> yeah, Elliot's making a face because you know if you've listened to our recap of 2022, we did not like Avatar 2. I don't love RRR. If you've seen our review of Everything Everywhere, we're not um, the biggest fans of these. I thought this movie did absolutely live up to the hype. Just like you, Elliot, I think it was a it was a pleasant surprise for me. And so I was interested when you said that you wanted to do it for the episode because I think I had a similar disposition towards it where I was like, oh, is it going to hold up? And I, I think I had a, I think I maybe had a bit more of a, not an unpleasant experience, but just a, oh, this is not as good as I remember it being or this without the novelty of the surprise of it, it is, I do think there's some stuff in this that I'm like, nah, I don't know about this, but I, I think for the most part, this movie still held up. So yeah, I'm, you know, let's, let's dive in, let's dive in to this film and let's, let's start the, start the discussion. 
It's time to start the movies. It's time to light the lights. It's time to meet the Muppets on the Muppet Show tonight. All right. <laughs> I love that song. Yeah, let's. <laughs> it is a great song. It's a lot of fun. Let's try and stay focused here, Ali. <laughs> <laughs> I think the first place to start, and you already mentioned it, is this movie, the animation style is just gorgeous. It looks so good, and it is definitely in the camp of post-Spider-Verse movies that are not trying to look like, I get, the kind of animated movies that Disney and Pixar have been putting out for the last, like, decade. You know, it's got a much more cartoonish style, it's got a much more cartoonish approach to characters design i think that's most evident in jack horner who looks like a disgusting abomination every time his whole body's on screen i'm like he looks so weird his head is simultaneously in my like too big and too small for his body he looks bizarre he looks more like a human being than kingpin from spider-verse but he still is he looks goofy and I think that's good, I you know, because it's a cartoon. So people can look goofy without us thinking like, oh, no one could ever look like that. It's like, oh, well, obviously it's a cartoon. So it looks great. And the fight scenes, I think, are just fantastic. They're so kinetic. There's so much energy in them. They look fantastic. They've got a fan great understanding of um, kind of pace and how to keep everything moving and how to keep it exciting and in motion while still like communicating what's actually happening right it's not just a shaky cam mess of things being hit it's very smooth and you can see all of the stuff i i think that first fight scene where he's fighting the giant in the town and he's like running on rooftop says he's the giants throwing a bell at him is so fantastic such a fantastic uh, fight scene and then the final fight between him and the wolf is just amazing so i think th if there's anything i can give unequivocal praise to the movie for it's the animation style and just the way the movie looks it looks so good yeah, I think that the Muppets theme song is fantastic song. It's a great ditty. Uh, <laughs> ha ha ha! Funny jokes. No, I'm right there with you. I I am. This is absolutely not a unique opinion to me, but I I join the masses in bemoaning the homogenization of animation that the success of Disney and Pixar sort of ushered in. Um, not necessarily realistic, but definitely trying to present a distinctly recognizable version of reality. Whereas movies like Spider-Verse and this movie, and if you saw it, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Mutant Mayhem, are much more heavily stylized. They're meant to appear much more like they've been drawn, like... Uh, rather than the Disney Pixar movies, which are clearly products of CGI animation. Um, and I'm, I'm here for it. I think that animation, that's a place where we should let the imagination run wild and come up with 
we should they should be much more heavily stylized than they are. They should be more in the vein of these movies. So I'm glad that we're kind of shifting to a new animation paradigm. And I think that this movie's aesthetic really works for it because it is definitely it so many shots reminded me of like storybook fairy tale illustrations. Like mm. it's almost it's it's really hard to describe. It's not flat, but there's not a lot of texture. It looks um like it's been colored in with pastel colors. Uh there's a lot of color contrast and a lot of oh gosh. I I wish I was more articulate than I actually am. There's a lot of everything it's it's all very distinct. Uh every setting and character and even, like, building and stuff is all very distinct from the other. Like, the town at the beginning of the movie is very distinct from the town that is sort of built up around Jack Horner's pie factory, which is very dark. And I'm not 100% sure what that what the architecture of Jack Horner's town is, because it's definitely not Spanish, which... The town in the beginning is recognizably Spanish, by which I mean Spain, not, um, like, Latin American. Uh, nobody cares. <laughs> the point is that it's all, it's all very distinct. I think it might be, uh, Norse, that, that architecture. Oh, sure. Style. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, nobody cares. <laughs> it's all very distinct, and... You mentioned the fight scenes, which I also think are very good. And also something that I noticed this time around is that the characters in the fight scenes, especially in the two fights between Puss and the Wolf, the characters were rendered at a lower frame rate than everything else. Did you notice this? Uh, no, not, <laughs> no, not outside of a level of like my brain noticing it subliminally. Well, yeah, I, and I think that it makes it... I'm not sure what the, like, driving idea behind it is, but it definitely makes the fight scenes look very distinct, and I think that the fight scenes have a real, like, strain of anime in them in terms of how oh, they're sure. choreographed and how they're shot and how they're very much... They're less focused on the minute-to-minute choreography than they are on the broader spectacle of two characters clashing. Um, so I, I'm mm. sure that if you actually mapped out this choreography between an anthropomorphic wolf and an anthropomorphic cat, it wouldn't make a whole lot of sense because the cat survives for more than, like, 10 seconds. But it's very it's very visually interesting and very engaging. And you're right, it, it lends itself to a very kinetic and dynamic... Uh, sort of action that really carried scenes that could have otherwise felt fairly repetitive or stock standard. So no notes on this movie's visual style or its cinematography or its fight scenes. All fantastic. Yeah. Well, th then we get to, I think, one of the other uh, things that was very celebrated about the movie is the themes and sort of ideas of the movie like you mentioned puss is down to his last life he's kind of forced out of adventuring by this 
a very talented bounty hunter, the wolf. And so there is a thread in the movie and Puss's sort of character arc is coming to terms with the fact that he is mortal, that he can either choose to face death or he can continue running away from death. And I think this is one of the things that was very praised about the movie is it's sort of depiction of Puss's struggle with this. He has a panic attack, which kind of became a bit of a joke <laughs> after the movie came out because it was like the, there was a string of animated movies that had characters experience panic attacks in like very quick succession. I think this, uh, the like teenage Kraken movie had one. I want to say Spider-Verse has one or Spider-Verse had like a short that where Miles had a panic attack or something. Elliot's making faces. This is true, Elliot. You're just not as up on the panic attack. I think animated. making stuff up. He's lying. But I do think this is a very... I found Puss's story to be very compelling. I think it's very well done. It's a very... You know, it's not the most complex thing in the universe, but it's very, very well depicted and... You know, at the end of the day, it's a chill, it's a children's movie. So it doesn't have to be like, right, the Shawshank Redemption in terms of depictions of people grappling with higher things. But I think it's very good. The scene where he has a panic attack, you know, I, I'm assuming is pretty real. It, see, it seemed like it was a very good sort of depiction of it. I've seen people say who have had panic attacks say that it's a very good depiction of it. And I, uh, I think it's really well done. There's some other stuff in there about, you know, wishes and there's some s s sort of subplots with Goldilocks and her family and kind of that sort of stuff. But I think the main thread of Puss coming to terms with his own mortality is pretty, it's pretty good. It's a pretty good depiction of it. And I remember in the theaters and watching it back this time, there at the end, when he stands up to the wolf and he's like, face me if you dare, it's pretty dope. I, I liked your comparison to anime that it's much more concerned with it just being cool as opposed to it being realistic. Yeah, definitely. I have, despite what it may seem like, I actually have a lot of fondness for classic uh, story structures and archetypes. I, I have, I have a fascination with archetypes and their origins. And I, I think that a lot of them are classics for a reason because they are timeless. They deal with timeless ideas and concepts. And I think this is a good example of that, like grappling with mortality, um, coming to terms with the decisions that you've made and looking for a quick way out these are all things that are pretty universal that I'm sure most people, including most children, they might not understand it at like a really intellectual level, but they would have some grasp of. And I agree. I think it's it's done very well. It is, it is, it's not complex, but it is fairly mature in terms of, just in terms of like, it's coming at it through the lens of a quote unquote man in middle age, looking back on a misspent youth and having to come to terms with that. And 
I mean, I don't think it's a huge problem. It's not like, because it's one of those things where it's there for the adults, but the, it's not something that distracts from the, the stuff for kids. Whereas uh, I think that I, it, sometimes the Incredibles can get to the point where I'm like, all right, this is, this is like way too highbrow for children. And it's taking up a lot of, it's taking up a lot of screen space. Nathan's clearly upset about that. So I'll just, I'll just move on. Um, yeah, I thought it was, it was real. It was very compelling. And it's, it's just a really simple story. Really well done. Like, there's a lot of parallels between the fight at the beginning, between Puss and the Wolf, and the fight at the end. Uh, I guess we'll just spoil it. Spoiler warning, the wolf is actually death, like the Grim Reaper, which is why, and he's coming after Puss because he thinks that he wasted his life, and he doesn't value his life enough, and so he wants to just take it and have done with it. All right, fine. He's. We'll talk about him later, but I think he's a great villain. And yeah, there's a lot of parallels in terms of moves that they bust out and shots that are mimic mirrored from uh, the original fight. And of course, Puss's catchphrase of fear me if you dare represents a sort of a completion arc for him where he has uh, come back to his original self, but upgraded. He's like... Puss in Boots 2.0, where he's retained all of his swagger and his confidence, but he's also learned stuff about himself and about not wanting to take the easy way out. Because at the very end, the thing he has his hands on the the wish, he can make his wish, and death will presumably well, I don't know, maybe death will kill him, and then that'll just be one life down. Uh but anyway, he has a way out, an easy way out, but he s- decides take the high road and do the more difficult but more rewarding thing that's good love that love that uh arc love that message i think that the the be yourself message no notes is i've never really bought into that message as what as a good one for children so i think this is uh, a much a much better thing to be preaching and yeah it's yeah, there's not a whole lot else to say. It's just a it's a simple classic story that's uh done very well. So, I think that that's a good a good springboard to talk about like the other characters. And I think we can kind of break them up into factions. So there's the Puss in Boots faction, which consists of our hero Kitty Softpaws and Perito. There's the Goldilocks faction, which consists of Goldilocks and the Three Bears. There's the Jack Horner faction, which consists of Jack Horner and intermittently a cricket. And then there's uh, the wolf <laughs> slash death. So let's, uh, let's, let's kind of take them each as they come. What do you think about the character? We've already talked about Puss, but the other characters and the dynamics of the Puss in Boots faction. I'm going to ignore that question and okay. just qu- quickly follow off. <laughs> I very much dislike you choosing to use Incredibles as an example because I watched that as a kid and I don't, I don't think there's ever a point in Incredibles where it's so over the top with something mature that I was like zoned out as a kid. I love the Incredibles. I think it's one of 
Pixar's masterpieces. I think you could choose another one like Soul. Soul is very much about grappling with death, and there's stuff in that that makes no sense. I'm convinced would make no sense to a child. And honestly, even up, I think, in some respects. Anyway, anyway, uh, I, I like the Puss in Boots faction. I already said that I, I really like Puss in Boots. Kitty Softpaws, I think, is also very good. And she represents, along with kind of Goldie, this thread in the movie of, you know, sometimes we want an easy way out for things that we could actually achieve ourselves, that Kitty Softpaws is looking for someone to trust. But, right, as soon as Puss makes enough growth, he is someone to trust. And Goldilocks is kind of a similar thing that she wants to wish for a family. She already has a family, which I, I think is a much, again, is a very good uh, message. And it's not, it's, it's a much better one. I'm just thinking of in terms of like wish granting things. If any of you saw Wonder Woman 1984, the message at the end of that movie seemed to be don't ever wish for anything <laughs> because uh, that's so selfish of you. Don't be such a jerk. And uh, it was bizarre because some people were like wishing for, you know, like <laughs> their family to not be dead or something. And I think this movie was a much better sort of message of, you know, sometimes we look for an easy way out instead of just putting in the work and creating something that we like, we want an easy way out when we should just be focusing on what's right in front of us. And so I, I like that. I think Kitty Softpaws is a good foil to Puss. She, repre she represents something that's kind of forcing him to be better. And same with Perito. The dog, I think there's, I think the dog is very clearly the thing that's there for like kids, that he's funny to kids. He's not as funny. Uh, the one scene where he goes on an expletive laden rant towards Goldilocks and the three bears, that's pretty funny, I think. But otherwise, he's kind of just a, he's very cute. He's goofy. He's silly. And he represents kind of the perfect version of the movie's idea of, right, being content with what you have and not trying to wish for things that you could just get anyway, that despite him having kind of a sad backstory, he's very content with where he is and he just wants to, you know, be friends and make people happy. And I, I think that's kind of nice. So I like him. I think, I think they're all good. Yeah, I agree. I don't have a lot to add there. I, I agree that Kitty Soft Paws is a good foil for Puss and, Perito is a good foil for both of them, um, and he is sort of the thematic counterpart that eventually leads them to conclude to conclude their arcs where they eventually end up doing do concluding them. And I think that um, Perito is really likable. He's not necessarily funny. He, I didn't find him as funny this time around, but he's very likable. Um, he there was a real potential for him to come off as like saccharine or cloying, but I think that the filmmakers had a deft enough touch that he just came across as just a likable, uh, happy-go-lucky, optimistic kind of guy. And I really enjoyed the more tender moments between him and Puss and Boots, like when Puss has his uh, panic attack and Perito doesn't quite know what to do, and so he just puts his, I guess, training 
to be a therapy dog to work and <laughs> they just have a, a little moment where they, they talk about their feelings. Lovely stuff. Love that. Um, and yeah, Kitty Softpaws, she's the classic initially abrasive, jilted lover who turns back to her former ally. Yeah, that's good. Let's talk about Goldilocks and the Three Bears, who in this universe used to be part of the Peaky Blinders, judging by their accents. Um, Funny. I didn't find their whole thing as compelling. I understand that the the filmmakers didn't want them to be a secondary antagonist in the way Jack Horner was. But, I don't know, I just didn't find their dynamic to be really moving. Like, Mm. the conclusion of their arc is that they realize, or Goldilocks realizes that she has a family, she doesn't need to wish for a new one. But... I don't know. They, they, I just, I didn't really get the sense that get that sense from them. It felt more like Goldilocks was a family friend than a family member, and that she was, she the the like power dynamics were just so clearly where she was at the top and everyone else was at was like an underling that I didn't get a sense of community from them. I, I there was a very real, too real sense of a hierarchy in this structure that made it come across more like a gang and less like a family. So the ultimate realization that they were family, I was like, I don't know. That just feels kind of like when your boss sends an email going like, oh, we're all family here. We all love each other. And you're just like, no, we're not. Shut up. Um, I guess I didn't get that sense so much. I do think it's it's not half baked. I'd say maybe it's three quarters baked to to use a metaphor that it's it's not poorly done. And I see what they're doing, right? I agree. They don't want uh, Goldilocks and the Three Bears to be a secondary antagonist. They already have a secondary antagonist. So instead, they just kind of feed into the same ideas we were talking about earlier that, you know, you need to kind of be content with the things you have when the things you have are the things you want. But I do think it's kind of a uh, late in the ninth sending in a pinch hitter somewhat that they are just secondary antagonists up until like 40 minutes from the end of the movie that there's the scene where they're in their old house and you learn what Goldilocks's wishes that those are the scenes where they do feel like a bit more of a family because the mom is kind of asserting some sort of control over everyone. But it it feels like maybe too little, too late. Again, that feels harsher because I don't think it's bad. And I did, like I was, I'm a sucker for stuff about families, you know, because I love my family. I don't know if you knew that. Um, (laughs) I'm like Dom Toretto. (laughs) Uh, So I, I found it compelling, but it did kind of feel like a, we've written most of the script and we've realized we don't want these people to we want the audience to be rooting for them somewhat. So let's, let's pull a 180 here. And I I think it succeeds for the most part, but it does feel like it's not as good as the other ones. Uh, In terms of the other two factions, Jack Horner. Oh, also in terms of Goldilocks and the three bears, I think they make the 
too hot, too cold, just right joke like five or six times in the movie. And it is mildly amusing the first time. And then it's annoying to me every other time, every successive time. Cause I, it's just like, yeah, okay. All right. Let's relax here. Could have left some of those on the cutting board. Uh, in terms of the other two, Jack Horner and then death, death, fantastic villain. His character design is dope. The voice actor sounds incredibly menacing and scary. Every time he whistles, it is like a genuinely um, terrifying sort of thing. I I think he's a fantastic villain. And then Jack Horner is, he's a really good villain. There are some moments where I'm like, we should not be letting John Mulaney ad-lib this much in the studio. And we certainly shouldn't be leaving it. Like there's just moments where he's, it feels like he's talking beyond the script and it just feels like a John Mulaney bit, which is, I don't love, but the cricket is one of the funniest gags. In maybe any movie ever his stupid. I love J- Jimmy Stewart impressions because he had such a recognizable, like cadence and voice And no one ever really does sound like him, but they sound like someone imitating him. And it is so funny. And this cricket is just, I was dying laughing in the theater every time he showed up. And I thought he was just as funny this time. As well as Jack Horner, I do like the gag of him just like brutally sacrificing everyone he brought in with him because he has so little care. Uh, He's a good villain. I I just think there's some moments, and this is kind of a broader critique, I would say, from this time, is that I just didn't find it as funny as I did the first time, that especially in the first, like, 30 minutes, there was a fair number of jokes that I was uh, unamused by. And I think Jack Horner is one of those that I was like, okay, all right, relax here. Don't let John Mulaney cook. Interesting. I I did not get that sense. I really liked Jack Horner this time around, and I liked him a lot the first time around because he's a very simple, uncomplicated villain with a simple, uncomplicated motivation. And he is a good sort of palate cleanser to Death, who has a much more personal motivation for being involved in the proceedings. Yeah, I definitely agree. The cricket is hilarious. Uh, I love all of his. I love all of his horrified interactions with Jack, where he's trying to navigate being the conscience of someone who has no apparent conscience. And I also love the Jimmy Stewart thing. Not sure what the point of that <laughs> is. Uh, if that's like a riff on a classic Jimmy Stewart character or what. I don't think I feel like I've seen all the classic Jimmy Stewart characters. I mean, he's kind of a goody two shoes in It's a Wonderful Life and Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, but not to the it does feel like just a joke for the sake of like in the studio. They were like, oh, this cricket's kind of funny. Wouldn't it be funny if he had right classic good guy Jimmy Stewart's voice? But I I don't think it's a send up of a certain uh a particular jimmy stewart character well it's funny because there are other things that are obvious references like puss in boots is 
carving a P. That's clearly a reference to Zorro. The shots of everyone looking at each other, the really close-up shots of everyone looking at each other at the end, it's clearly a reference to Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. Jack Horner doing the Terminator 2 thing is Jack Horner doing the Terminator 2 thing. So it's weird that, yes. So it's weird that they just have one that's sort of rudderless, but still, very funny. And then, yeah, love death. Um, The guy who played him, Wagner Mora. Or possibly Wagner. I don't know. because Well, I don't know. Because Wagner would be the German pronunciation. But if he's not German, he sounded Spanish. It doesn't matter. Uh, <laughs> Elliot trying to place things geographically does not matter. Fantastic performance. He was so chilling. I absolutely loved his introduction where... He's just doing the menacing thing, and his little laugh when he says, my compliments to your cobbler, oh, great stuff. I think he's the kind of villain that would really have scared me as a kid. Like, I would not have liked him. I would have been really scared of him. But yeah, he's really well constructed. He's got a fantastic look. He does a great job of of being a really intimidating presence, like the whistle, it's a really small touch, but does such a good job of lending him this individual character that's very sinister and menacing, but very confident. Like, he's always, like, it, it makes him seem more carefree. He's always announcing his presence. And it's little stuff, but it goes a long way to adding to the presence that he has. And I love it when villains have a, a presence in a story that very much exceeds their actual screen time. I think that's the mark of a great villain. And uh, yeah, his, I already talked about his look, which is really good. So yeah, I thought that he, w- he was one of my favorite parts of the movie this time around. Um, even though he, he doesn't have like a whole lot of screen time, he doesn't have a whole lot of lines. Um, he really only talks three times in the movie, once in his introduction, once in... I mean, he has conversations. He doesn't only say one line, but he has conversations once at the beginning, once when he tracks down Puss in the uh, Cave of Lost Souls, and then once at the very end. But he had so much presence because there was so much work done to make him seem, to make him influence the proceedings. So great stuff. Love that. Yeah. It's very much in the vein of like Darth Vader's breathing, the whistling, that it's just such a small thing. But it, as soon as you hear it, it's kind of a um, chill up your spine sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's all the things. Elliot, did you have any negative? I've kind of discussed my negative. My only other big one, in, besides it just not being as funny on rewatch, is I do think the movie takes kind of a bit to get going that it is something like 30 minutes before they enter the dark forest, which is when the movie really picks up in my opinion, both comedically and thematically that it, that's when everything really starts to get going. I don't know necessarily. And right. I'm not a screenwriter. So it's not, I'm a, I'm the critic. It's not my job to say how to do your job better. I'm just here to say you could do your job better. Uh, so I don't know where you would cut, but it just feels like a bit of a long time to get the story moving 
and get everything into position for the kind of back half of the movie. Um, it, it just feels kind of weird pacing wise that we spend this much, we spend a fair amount of time in the retirement home, as you put it with puss. And it, it feels like maybe we don't need that much time, but again, I don't know how it could necessarily be done better. I just don't know if it was done perfectly. So th- those are kind of my two biggest negatives. Uh, did you have any negatives for this movie? Um, well, first of all, I'm not sure I would agree. I I would always err on the side of caution when it comes to setup. I think that not enough setup is usually more harmful to a movie than too much setup. There are some exceptions, of course. I'm thinking of The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, where the movie doesn't start until <laughs> like an hour and a half in. And by that time, I'm already checked out. But yeah, I would say, aside from my quibbles with Goldilocks and the Three Bears, there were just little moments that I noticed where I was like, yeah, this is a little, this is a little awkward. Um, So when, one of the things is they set up this gag of Perito trying to learn how to look really cute to convince people to do things. And the way they set this up is Puss and Kitty both sort of try out their big, cute eyes on each other and it's it's just kind of awkwardly worked in because it's a it's puss is trying to convince kitty to let him use the map and he doesn't it's it's made clear that it doesn't work but then when they're done doing their cute eyes thing he says can we get on with this and then they just look at the map so i was like all right that's that's pretty awkward like that that could have been worked in a bit more seamlessly and also like this they they do the thing where a character's actions are misinterpreted as being malicious where puss in boots runs out of the cave of lost souls and he either doesn't hear or doesn't understand kitty softpaws and perito yelling for him at the top of the hill so they think he's running off he's absconding with the map and it's just unnecessary because a it's contrived those things are always contrived and uh, and stupid, and it doesn't really affect the ending. Like, Kitty is a little bit mad at him when she gets there, but it's resolved so quickly that I'm like, why did you have to do that? Why, why did you have to... Why did you have to include that and include it in such a clumsy way? It's just little um, things like... Yeah? I... I don't think that's a misinterpretation. I think he is absconding with the map. I think he hears them and he's so scared of death that he has now decided to go and take the wish. I don't think that's a misinterpretation. I think that's him doing exactly what they think he's doing. Well, I'm skeptical. And I agree. It doesn't, it doesn't, you know, affect the ending that much. This is where it's weird, right? We got different negatives. I don't feel like that. You're always goofy about the main characters getting into fights before the ending. That always upsets you more than it upsets me. Well, I guess I'm just more discerning. Yeah, more willing to be bored in the first hour of a movie, too. (laughs) Whatever, Nathan. Are you done? Are you done? Can I continue? Yeah, feel free. 
I don't actually have anything else to say. That's it. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I agree about the cuteness thing. And that's kind of what I'm talking about in terms of there just being some weird pacing with some stuff. But I, I do think overall, I'm assuming we're gearing up to do um, our ratings here. I think this is a fantastic cartoon. This is a fantastic kids movie. I think we mentioned in the Finding Nemo review that we did, or I mentioned, that I think the crucial thing with a kids movie is it's simplistic enough that it makes sense to kids and it's entertaining enough consistently that kids will be entertained by it. And uh, I think this is a really fantastic example of this. I mean, you can look at, right, another sort of modern example of like the Super Mario Bros, I think is very consistently entertaining for kids, but there's no depth there. There's no amount of like interesting things or fun things for adults in that movie. And so the movie is really kind of a, a slog at times. This one, it's got a lot of those fun references. It's got, you know, that great Jimmy Stewart impression that kids love to hear. They love to see those gags. <laughs> but it's a lot of fun. It's just a lot of fun. Uh, I think this is easily one of, I'd say it lives up to the hype. If you've been having friends tell you, like, oh, this movie's so good. And you're like, there's no way that... <laughs> Like Elliot said, a sequel that came out 11 years after the first one, a, a sequel to a spinoff to a series, uh, it is just as good as everyone's kind of saying it is, or at least will meet your expectations. So uh, let's go to ratings. Elliot, rating for this film. Yeah, this is one of those movies where I feel bad that I haven't praised it enough because I feel like my rating and what I've said in the review don't align. But I just want to be clear that I think this is a really good movie. I really like the characters. Um, I mean, I have some problems with Goldilocks and the Three Bears, but they're far from bad. I love the villains. Uh, I love the heroes. I think that the main character has a really satisfying classic arc. Um, this, I really like side characters of Kitty and Perito, and, um, the animation style is fantastic and novel. The fight scenes are really good and well done. <clears throat> there is, there are a lot of jokes that really make me laugh. Um, yeah, it's a really good, really solid movie. I would agree. It definitely lives up to the hype. It's something that you should watch if you missed it or skipped it, uh, because you were skeptical of it. Yeah, definitely give it a watch. Really good. There are there are minor problems here and there that that add up enough where you can't really wave them away. Of just problems of things that are a bit sloppy and that could have been done a bit better, but they're not huge deals. So ultimately, I would say I'm gonna give this a really strong B plus. Sure. I think I'm in a similar boat, even though it, it seems like maybe I was a bit more negative on the movie. I think overall, this is a really enjoyable movie. It came down a bit on rewatch, but that also might've been like, I, I just laugh more at comedies when I'm with people than when I'm alone. So there's that, but yeah, it's really good. Really fun. Lives up to the hype. Very enjoyable movie. I'm going to give it a 7.8 out of 10 for me. It's a lot of fun. Let's, let's dive into Elliot. Let's let's get some recommendations out here for the for the folks at home. 
Always diving into things. Why don't we patiently and calmly walk into things? Let's let's spelunk into things, Elliot. Let's start spelunking into some recommendations. Well, that's a little bit better. Uh, this movie was kind of hard for me just because I'm stupid and uncreative and I have difficulty thinking. Jeez. Uh, in the end, I, it's hard to think of a movie that's that tells a similar story or grapples with similar themes that's not, like, completely different. Like, Grappling with Death, you could watch The Seventh Seal, but that's nothing like this movie, so it's not a very good double feature. In the end, Nathan convinced me to go with Rango. Uh, this is a animated feature directed by Gore Verbinski of Pirates of the Caribbean fame, uh, and also the American remake of Ringu fame, if that's more your thing. Um... Yeah, it's a, it is sort of similar to Puss in Boots in that it deals with very classic archetypal stories, although this one being derived from westerns, classic westerns rather than fairy tales, um, <clears throat> it looks amazing. Like the animation style is not very stylized at all. It's much more aiming for realism, but Roger Deakins was the cinematography consultant on this movie so you know it's going to be a looker uh, in that regard but it's also really funny i have a real soft spot for westerns so i love all the archetypes at play here a lot of really great voice performers it's just a really strong animated movie that's it's probably a little bit more mature than your average kids movie fair because there's more salty language some more like i don't know violency stuff it's not like i mean it's pg so don't get the wrong idea here but yeah uh definitely something to look look at if you're looking for fresh animation style classic stories great voice voice performances and uh i can't remember what the third thing is but if you're looking for something else <laughs> and you find it let me know and we'll come back and edit it into this section and then that'll be good amazing yeah, that's a great movie. I remember seeing it in theaters and not understanding <laughs> a lot of what was going on. But then coming back to it, I think this movie is really good, really funny, really well done. Uh, this was actually tough because as we were doing this episode, I thought of a whole bunch of other like animated movies that are also really fantastic. But I'm going to go with one that I just recently watched. It's the early 2000s Disney movie Treasure Planet, which I believe is a very, very loose adaptation of the book Treasure Island. This one's really good. It's got a really interesting combination of CGI animation and hand-drawn animation that a lot of the kind of regular characters are regularly animated but then there's also cgi animation on technology there's a cyborg character but this movie is just a lot of fun honestly i was really surprised by how well it was done there's kind of a core relationship kind of a father-son dynamic between the main character and this cyborg character and i think it's really well done the movie is a very swashbuckling sort of thing with you know pirates and these kind of classic archetypes of the classic adventure story stuff with, you know, hidden treasure, pirates, excitement on ships, stuff like that. People have guns. It's very exciting. Islands look like skulls. 
<laughs> yeah, stuff like that. But it, it's it's a lot of fun. It looks really good. I'm uh, I'm very much a huge fan of this. I've seen it before, along with uh, the Atlantis Disney movie that came out close to this. Is movies that people are like, oh, this was such a touchstone in my childhood. I watched it just recently. I think it holds up. So that's going to be my recommendation for uh, Puss in Boots 2. But then also, if you haven't seen Spider-Verse, watch Spider-Verse. What are you doing? If you haven't seen the Lego movie, what are you doing? Watch that. Just in terms of like modern movies with a different sort of animation style. Bing, bang, boom. There you go. I haven't seen Treasure Planet, so I can't comment on that. But yeah, definitely watch the Lego movie and the Spider-Verse movies. I don't think that you've made an ethical lapse in not watching them up until now, but... Sure, give him a watch. Um, let's all keep in mind that life is hard and full of disappointments as we face the week that will be and reflect on the week that was. Keep that in front of mind and you will never go wrong. Great, great, Elliot. <laughs> um, yeah, be, be sure to watch uh, the Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes trailer so you can be just as unexcited for it as we are. And yeah, we'll see you next week for another brand new review. Be sure to listen in. It's, uh, it's bound to be a great, another great one.